Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thank you so much to our sponsor, Healing Insight Acupuncture and Holistic Medicine on Grand Avenue in St. Paul, Minnesota. Owner Senya May and her team of practitioners can help patients with everything from digestion to weight loss, autoimmune conditions to fertility, and so much more. But today we're talking about sleep. It is crucial to our health, and a lot of us aren't getting enough good quality rest. And Senya says things like stress or anxiety, a nutritional deficiency, or a hormonal imbalance can be impacting our sleep. Healing Insight can help with those issues and treat you with acupuncture, utilizing calming points on the wrist, on the heart meridian that help you finally relax and sleep, and recommending herbs to calm stress and supplements to balance hormones. I see Senya regularly. She places needles in strategic points and then just lets me rest. I call it an acupuncture nap, and it's like a full night of restorative sleep in about 30 minutes. Visit HealingInsightOnline.com to see Senia's gorgeous new website and learn all about all of the treatments she offers. That's HealingInsightOnline.com. I'm Marjorie Bunnett, and this is Best of the Nest, the podcast that's all about creating strong, comfortable, beautiful nests that prepare us to fly. And there's a nest I want to fly into, and it's my husband's. I miss you so much. Special guest host, Dr. Reverend, Reverend Dr. Ian Punnett. Hi, sweetie. Hi, sweetie. uh, You call it best of the nest. That's not what I call this show. Remember. What do you call it? My crazy life and my old friend Elizabeth. That's what I (laughs) Did you say my crazy life or my crazy wife? Not sure. Which it comes one? out both ways, but usually okay. life. And so I'll listen to it and I'll go, oh, and my old friend Elizabeth. And I there guess, you go. That's how there I think you go. it. Well, speaking of Elizabeth, she is nesting at home with Heathcliff. 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 Yeah. Heathcliff. And Bernie and Franklin and Jay. If you haven't heard, she had the baby. She had the baby. So we're very excited about that. And she's going to take a couple of weeks off. I texted her the other night, Elizabeth, I miss you so much. I miss you so much. This isn't to guilt you to come back, but I miss you so much. So I just hope she takes lots of time with that sweet little family of hers. But speaking of birth, you're about to birth a book, my man. Yeah, yeah. The book is uh, dropping officially October 20th, maybe by the time we hear this, but it will have uh, already been available for pre-sale for the last month or so. So we have no idea how many have been pre-bought. Right. Uh, We're hoping that uh, the day of sale goes well and that we get some other media to help promote it because we really believe in it. Well, it helps if you actually give the title of the book, darling. Well, I mean, I didn't know how much of a plug you wanted here. so the Big plug. Big plug. <laughs> the new book I, I co-wrote with two other very fine gentlemen. Uh, the book is called How Millennials Can Get Us Out of the Mess We're In. And it, it's a book on leadership, but we used the life of Moses as a framework. And in as much, kind of felt like it was appropriate to bring in the somebody from the two other great 
religions that focus on Moses, that being Judaism. And we have Rabbi Mordecai Schreiber as the man who handled that from a Hebraic perspective. And then focusing on the Quranic narrative of Moses, Dr. Iqbal Unis, who is uh, Unis, sorry, I I can't believe I said that because I always... It's always universe to me. It's always doctor. Right. I always, that's how I have to think. In fact, my, my little meme for remembering kickball Yunus is kickball universe. But anyway, uh, and so he, we, between the three of us, we wrote this book about Moses, who is really in, in some regards, the first millennial, as we argue, and why millennial style leadership is badly needed right now. I love this idea, and I cannot wait to read the book. This is one of the first books that you've published that I didn't read cover to cover no. or have some little part in the editing sure. of it. And when I say little, I mean very little. But often you would send me chapters. I've read chapters of it, but I did not read this one cover to cover. And I think it's it, it's so perfectly timed to what we're going through now. We're not going to get into politics. But it's been interesting, as with any book, you want to get a certain amount of pre-publicity. And when you started getting a little publicity and then one thing after another sort of kicked it out of the news cycle, first the president getting COVID and then the Supreme Court justice nomination proceedings, all of that. So I don't mind giving this a big plug because I think it's an important book. And it goes to speak to when I introduce you, I never know which comes first, Reverend, Doctor, Doctor, Reverend. You know, I never use any of them. I know you don't, but I think you've worked hard to have all of them. I don't care about that. I hate honorifics. Well, then I'll just introduce you as my husband. I mean, come on. What's more important than that or dad? I mean, come on. There you go. There you go. And that's why you're a broadcast professional, because you just segued right into what we're talking about today, which is fatherhood. On Best of the Nest, we, we speak so much about, Elizabeth and I have so many opinions about how we feel to be women, how we feel to be mothers, how we feel to be wives. And other than Jay sometimes coming upstairs in their house, he'll give a comment in the background. <laughs> and he's been a guest once on the show. But it we really. One of my favorite episodes. It's a really there good you episode. Go. Yeah. We very, very rarely give men the opportunity to sort of express their viewpoint no. on their lives and no. what those things mean. It's a very started... sexist show, really. If you think. <laughs> it's a very sexist. Do you think? Oh, yeah. I, I think I believe we call that androgyny. I believe you are – there's like a real antipathy that I, I feel it every time. So, Darling, it's not about you. It's all about me. It's just about me. It's about me. It's about me. No, I know. And I like I – li- it's funny because I listen to stories and I listen to oh, – and I think – and then I, I almost like say something. I'll be sitting and I'll listen to it and I'll go, but – and then I go, nope. Not welcome. Not my clubhouse. Not my clubhouse. Well, it is your clubhouse. And we hope that men, we hope that men in general feel that we are open to them and that they listen. We've got some wonderful, wonderful listeners, male listeners, and we don't, we don't pretend like we understand the male mind, but we hope that if you're a man and you listen to Best of the Nest, that it helps you understand at least our female minds. Sure. So that's really that's really the feeling of no, it. No, that's true. But I think, you know, when you, we think about fatherhood, and sort of what made me want to talk about this with you is Matthew McConaughey is on the cover of People magazine this week, and he's got a new book out, and a lot of it deals with fatherhood. And there's a little clip that's running around the website, and we'll put it in the show notes, where he talks about fatherhood and that 
from a very young age, from the age of eight, that was really his primary goal. He mm-hmm. said long before he thought about a career path, long before he thought about fame or money of any of those things, he knew he wanted to be a father because this little light bulb went off when he, he said when he was about eight years old where he was meeting some of his father's friends and he would always say, yes, sir, yes, sir. And in his little eight-year-old brain, what he connected was the idea of respect that he had to call these men, yes, sir. But the connection he made was that he was calling them yes, sir, because they were all fathers. Mm -hmm. And he just loved that idea that that's how you became a man. And he said, I didn't articulate it so clearly at age eight, but he said he knew at that age that fatherhood meant something. And I I find that idea really interesting. I I think it is. And the the part I would separate out is I had probably a a similar outlook. I, there was just a mental assumption. Um, it was, I was unconflicted about it from a very early age that I would be a dad, but I wasn't interested in patriarchy. Right. And so there was nothing about fatherhood that was like a respect play. I wasn't, I I thought what I knew so many bad fathers in the neighborhood And, and my own father whom I love and you knew, you're just such a flawed guy, you know, and he, he was trying, but he had so many things that were working against his ability to communicate effectively as a father and as a husband. And it, it meant that I, I, I really kind of, to chime with what Matthew McConaughey had said, and I, I think it's neat that People Magazine designated him Sexiest Father Alive or whatever it was. <laughs> Um, some new title I'll never get. Right. Um, yeah. But the that is a I knew I I could do better than my dad. Oh, that's interesting. What would you say his? And I knew him, and I adored your father. He was as quirky as all get out. I yeah. mean, just a quirky but kind, kind-hearted mm-hmm. man. Mm-hmm. But what would you say if you're comfortable talking about it? What were the flaws that you? We're going to re- that you were going to react to as a father yourself. Well, from a very early age of uh, of our own children, I would always say to them, "Daddy loves you," and I would say it in the third person because that was the only way I ever heard it from my dad. Now he never hmm. said it to me personally. He would say it. I would hear it from oh. other people. So my brother, my older brother Spencer, or my mother would say, "Well, your dad loves you." But that would usually come after some overreaction he had had to something minor. Um, some oh, that's so interesting. Yeah, and, and I made it sort of an intentional. It was almost before we used the term. It was almost kind of a meme, and I right. I, I never shied away from saying I love you. I never shied away from expressing love. You know, I've been slobbering over those kids for years. But, yes, but that's I would always say that too because it was just it was so funny to me that that was the only way I ever heard it, but I never heard it from him. So at least they heard it from me. <laughs> and I, I kind of wanted that burned into their memory uh, right. that, you know, their their dad loves them and, and that they never have to wonder about that. And And I think, too, there was a part of your father that I think you tried not to replicate. You've replicated so many of the beautiful things about him, but one of the things that I think you tried really hard with our kids not to do was to have that – top-down authority oh, yeah. with no explanation. Oh, yeah. And he didn't – and, and for like a lot of dads of that generation, he came out of a military background. He came out of this authoritarian 
environment where it was all about the possibility of pain or something like that. And right. he grew up right. the result of, of an alcoholic dysfunction. They were never beaten by their dad, but their dad had abandoned them. And so his older brother had become sort of the, the major domo and was not a nice older brother. And so right. he would routinely beat up his little brothers. And that idea was my father being the middle child. I think he he responded to that in all sorts of weird ways, none of them particularly healthy. and But authority and not being challenged, that was a safe place for him. And right. the, he, he knew who he was as long as he wasn't being questioned and he because he know that he knew that if he had to be questioned and explained why things had to be the way they were that was where he ran into problems he didn't know how to communicate they didn't know how to he didn't understand it himself so how could he begin to communicate it to you you and i have been married for so long and were relatively young ish when we had children sure. how old were you when we had gar you were young i wasn't i mean that was and that was intentional so i was 30 what i was 30 i thought uh, you were 30 30 or 31 when no you had... no if we, if i think so gar was born in 91 so yeah okay uh, maybe a uh, 31 and then 33 Three for Campbell. Three. Yeah. Yeah. So when I was a father of two, I, it was really like a realization that right about 34 is when I it really started to, uh, where I really, I had been taking fatherhood seriously. But at that point, I mean, I, I knew this is where I had to keep focus on providing a balance so that I wasn't going to be an absentee dad and I wasn't going to be working all the time. And I had to, I had to calibrate my career uh, accordingly, so that I could be, um, I could be a good provider, pull my weight within the family, and then also um, be there for them, and not have to be, you know, some distant figure like I was seeing friends of mine having to be for their kids. Yeah, I think that's one of the greatest compliments that our boys have always paid to you and to me to some extent. Yeah, but to you in particular, that our older son I think said once that he hopes that he can find a life and a way to make a living where he gets to see his children as much as you saw them. Right. And I also benefited from, and I've talked about this quite a bit on Best of the Nest, a career was always important to me, but I stepped on and off a career track pretty fluidly, which I, I always give you the credit for that, is that I never felt, I never felt one way or the other in your estimation as to whether or not I was working or whether or not I was successful outside the home. And I think for a lot of women, I just was always so grateful for that. I always felt grateful that if I decided to, to stay home for a year, that my job was just as important at home as if, or if I went back to work in television or in radio or whatever I was doing, that was important too. And and there was something about the fluidity that I was able to do that, that I felt so grateful to you. And I think part of that was watching you too, because we were married about five or six years before we had kids and watching you welcome in the responsibility of caring for us. And these are delicate words because of course, as a woman, 
it's hard to feel like, especially the kind of woman I am, yes. hard to feel like yes. there's a submission in that yeah. of, of allowing myself to be cared for and putting myself sort of in your hands. And now looking back, I, I and I, I think I knew it at the time, although I was a little bit more uh, fiery back then, mm-hmm. but looking back of knowing what a gift that was of, of truly feeling cared for. And I think the best gift that a married couple can give each other is that there's a sort of a give and go on that all throughout a marriage is that 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 there are times where that will feel equal. There will be right. times when it will feel like it's falling more to one than the other, but that, that, that seesaw of marriage always goes back and forth. And I think you did that and taught me to do that really beautifully. Well, it's sweet to say that. I, I mean, your happiness was as primary to me as both of our children. And I, I had a, I had a real interest in making sure that you stayed fulfilled and that you continued to want to, function as mom when you wanted when that was going to be your primary function I didn't want you I wouldn't if it, it just on a practical basis it didn't serve anybody if you were unhappy so trying right. trying to make sure that everybody was happy was good I think in media having the dual media careers it should be said though that the one perhaps the the one market force that I experienced that maybe you didn't was that is, and this is, I think, this was particularly true at the time, and now it's almost insurmountable in some respects. Is that if you wanted a career in media, never break the chain. Yeah. yeah. And that Fleetwood Mac song runs through my head all the time. Since I was, <laughs> is you just never break the chain because yeah. you you, ha- you as soon as you take two years off of of from media, it's really hard to get back in. And yeah. you have to rely on connections and you kind of have to start over. And there's all sorts of other problems that come along with it. So only one of the two of us could step on and off the carousel. Right. And if we had both been doing that, then it would have been disastrous. I so, think so too. Yeah. And so that was I, – I, I took that and I, I think that I was happy with that trade off, And I was happy that I could do almost the majority of all of my work – while the kids were sleeping or they were at school. Yeah. And so yeah. when they were not sleeping and they weren't at school, I was right there with them. We were we were picking them up from school. We were getting coffee and watching them play Foursquare. We were doing we were making dinner, we were doing whatever, and that's how I that's how I survived that period of kind of overworking, but I overworked at times when it didn't come at the sacrifice of the family. Yeah, I know for our own children, it is going to be a hard match to do what we were able to do because at the time when they were young, we were doing the morning show together, a radio show together. And our days, other than when we were on the air, five to nine or whatever hours were, we had a little bit of more flexibility of where we needed to be at any given time. If we were doing show prep, we could be at home. We might have client meetings, but, but... we had more flexibility in our schedule than than most people do. And so I often think about you and I, and it's truly some of my favorite memories. We would be so tired because we would have gotten up so early in the morning. And so we would run and we would get a cup of coffee. I would get a latte and you'd get a coffee. And we would drive over to the kids' school as they were getting out of school. And then the kids always played Foursquare after school. And we didn't care if they played Foursquare for no. 20 minutes or we 40 minutes. We occasionally napped. Oh, my God, we did. We would fall asleep in the car. Yeah. But it was Good such job. a 
it was such a nice thing, and I often think about from their perspective, and they've expressed so much gratitude to us over the years, but I often think, like, like what did their friends think of that? Like, what did their – because it's odd. It's just so odd that both your parents – I don't know. I don't know. It was, <laughs> but, just, it was just strange. But in terms of, like, I th- often think about – and I, I don't think this has changed, and I don't think it will change because – women bear the children we we grow them and there's that a just responsi- makes you hotter yeah it does make us hotter doesn't it, it does. I, i've i've always been grateful that i'm a woman because i think how like if i were a man i would be completely jealous of my wife no no that wasn't jealous. as i was no. as i was no. as i was watching her grow another human being inside her no because i think that's like a superpower it is totally cool so glad I don't have that superpower. It would be really? like no. You never looked at me and thought she's growing a human being. You never thought like I wish I could do that. Never. And I don't. <laughs> I mean, it's I. But it wasn't when I watch you as you were pregnant, going through the stages of pregnancy. Uh-huh. I, what I saw was actually something very noble. And it, okay. so it wasn't a matter of like, oh, she can do something I can't. She was doing something I'm so glad I can't. And really? Yeah. So I never, I never looked at you and said, oh, tell me what that's like. Cause I. No, you didn't really <laughs> didn't. do that. And instead, I think pregnancy required for me anyway, a certain amount of sense of humor. In, and, um, there was, there were things about, pregnancy that I could tell were very difficult for you. And so I was always trying to be there to help take the pressure off in that way. Um, what, what what did I do that was most difficult? Get out of chairs. I, get out of chairs. Sit down in no. chairs. <laughs> no, I meant Negotiate for you. Negotiate narrow hallways. What? What's, I'm sorry, what? I meant for <laughs> you. Like, what was the hardest thing? You're avoiding the true question. What, what was the hardest thing? Like, was I moody? I don't no, remember. Not, not terribly. No, you would actually in, in, in physical discomfort. Remember, okay. I mean, your well, lower yeah. back was killing you. Um, okay, I don't remember this. Your feet were, I mean, you were. Oh, that. Okay. I do remember that. Between your feet and your back, I mean, I was like, that was a, that was a nearly full-time job right there during pregnancy because <laughs> you were, it, it, with your scoliosis, I mean, yeah. there was all sorts it of was, stuff. It was uncomfortable at times. Yeah. So when you, when you saw me getting larger, Mm -hmm. which I did. And you knew that you were going to meet, like for a woman, at least for me, I felt like because Gar and Campbell were growing inside of me, I had already met them. We knew each other already. And so I always wonder, like, how bizarre is it that you're in the operating and you were in the operating room with me for both children because I had C-sections. Yeah. And I conned both uh, surgeons into letting me be on the other side of the the yeah. sheet where I got to see the action, <laughs> and they would. I don't. Th- I don't know that they would allow that now. I don't know. I think they didn't really allow it then. It wasn't like it was an op. It wasn't an option. It didn't come with the package. It right. wasn't. You know. It was. A, it wasn't a ticket. It was. Uh, well, I had to convince are- them that I this was really good for the baby and really good for me. And right. Like, okay, but they, I don't think they trusted me. I think what what was so bizarre about that to me is with our second, with Campbell, our second son, he was a scheduled C-section and we knew the doctor 
Right. She was a friend of my sister's, and so we we were a little bit more familiar with her. And she had allowed you to come to the other side of the curtain, so you could actually see her. You could you could watch her slicing me open, and then sort of pulling the baby out. And I'll never forget on my end, which was just fine with me. I I was fine. You could be. This was as much your experience as it was mine. I didn't really need you to comfort me. No. Because what I needed to be was mentally awake. Yeah. For all those women out there of seat sessions, you're still awake and someone's cutting open your stomach. Right. It's just better that you're thinking of Hawaii. You know, it's just better that you're somewhere completely different. And I remember the nurse who was up at my head kept muttering about how angry she was about the fact that you weren't comforting me. And so I had to start comforting her to tell her, I'm okay. He is just where he needs to be. And it was the strangest sensation yeah. of like, lady, this is not your party. Yeah. <laughs> you like need to be quiet. But tell, tell me about what that was like. Cause when the, when, cause I never got to see it and we didn't, we didn't videotape it, right. which I'm grateful for. But like, did, did she cut me and then it just like the head popped out? Oh, no, no. Oh, no, no. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's like, it's like the, it's like Get Smart. It's like the beginning and end of Get Smart. Remember when in that mm-hmm. old you know show where he goes down the hallway and there's all these doors and they all open up differently? Right. And right. that's what I was thinking when I was watching the first one and it was exactly like that. And the second was... Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> And so they would cut another layer and then that layer would have to be retracted and then they cut the muscle wall that would have to be retracted. Then they had to cut the placenta part that would have to be retracted. Then they brought up and that's what it was like. And suddenly the baby emerged. And when in each case, they pulled the head out first and then laid the head on its side like it was still sleeping. And so the head was just sticking out. That was a lot like aliens. That was a lot like aliens. (laughs) And and then they pulled the baby out um, completely after just like a little bit. Then they go back and they kind of go in underneath it, like and then just scoop it out with their hand. And and they they brought out both children and then they say just a minute and they take them over and do the whole suction the nose thing and all that right right and then they start sewing you back up again which made me really hungry for hanger steak <laughs> I swear to God it was the most oh. it was like oh I'm, that's exactly oh. what that looks like it looks like hanger steak and they oh, would God. sew it back they were sewing you back together again and then they would uh-huh. say we're ready for you and my goal selfishly was always to be the first finger that the children touched, the first right. human touch, because even when they pulled you out, they pulled you out, it, they had already had that, 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 that C-section area was all covered in cloth and plastic and right, all that stuff, right? right? right. So right. I was the first human that both of them touched, and we just sat there and we held fingers for, for a, a few seconds. And that was very, that was always very uh, significant to me made up for not being able to see him for all that time before then you mean to grow them to grow the babies to grow them but also to, <laughs> there was the delayed satisfaction that i i'm more comfortable with than you are that was like this is the payoff right here right this is that right. payoff. so when you think about our kids are 29 and 27 now when right. you think about what you did wrong hmm we always talk about what we talk a lot about on this podcast, what we did wrong, right. what you did wrong as a father, what you might change if you could. Is there anything that really comes to mind? 
Well, I've had this conversation with them. You know, they were they're they're sometimes conflicted about the radio thing uh, or about the media, the higher profile life. They right. were they they appreciate the benefits from it, and they were also patient with some of the trade offs for it. Um, right. I, I think back and I think, could I have been more mindful of that in real time? And I don't quite know how. I mean, we've had this conversation, and it's not like they tell me, oh, you did this so wrong. So maybe they're just withholding. Um, right. I, we, we had a big emphasis on, in, in our relationship, the rule was I can be dad buddy or I can be dad boss. And right. if we all just kind of follow the rules we agree on in terms of like restaurant behavior and um, doing and, and politeness and getting their allowance from politeness as opposed to doing chores, if you if we all just go with that program, it's going to be so easy for me to be dad buddy. But at the drop of a hat, I will be oh, dad yeah. boss. Oh yeah, and and I dad boss scared me. <laughs> well, when it was time, if they were taking yeah. advantage of dad buddy, I'd be like, that's it, no. And I yeah. I I could be as firm and as stern as I would rather have not have been. Right. But it didn't last that long, and they rarely tested me. I mean, I really can no. honestly count on. I I mean, I on for each kid, maybe the fingers on one hand when I ever really had to put my foot down and say, stop right. that. Right. Well, it's one of the things I do think – so we're talking about the things you did wrong. Yeah. I will transition yeah, to or something tell me, that – Tell me what you think I did wrong. I'm open. No, no, no. I was going to transition to something that I think you did right. Oh, okay. Well, I'm still open was, for the wrong piece. I mean, I just I, – I can't – I can't – I really can't think of anything – I'm trying I'm trying to think because I think parenting is so complicated and it's hard to go back and untangle things. I mean, for myself, and I think it's a very personal thing when you talk about what did you do wrong as a parent. Right. I think it's easier to to sort of self-critique. And so it and, and I'm not interested in getting into critiquing you in that sense because well, I think it's it, it it I know, but I think it's difficult. But I think one of the things that you sort of set the tone for, and I think we really did right, is that whole idea of it can be really, really, really fun if you just sort of play by the rules and the rules are fair. Yeah. But if you're not they weren't obtuse to, rules, like where no, it, we like, were always we were really clear because I think you were a good communicator in that way, and so this goes back to I, I really think that you set the tone for this, and it made such a difference in raising our boys, is that they had a good life and they will often. Right talk to us about with a great deal of gratitude. Thank you for our, our sort of good, great childhood. But part of that is we like to travel. We like to eat out. We right. like to do a lot of those things. We like to have fun together. And one of the things we never wavered on is this is all extra. Right. And so if you don't behave in it, it ends and it ends immediately. And it didn't matter where we were, especially when the kids were little if they were going to have a tantrum, which happened so rarely, right? We left. Well, that it was like we'll, yeah. we'll take the check. We're Zero going. Zero tolerance for that. And they didn't. Yeah. yeah. And they didn't. We we told them up front we were going to a restaurant. There will be no bread and water experiments. There, right. <laughs> there will be no testing of the patience of the server or right. of any other table. And if we see that other people are reacting, we're out. And so yeah. it wasn't even a entirely a subjective moment. We gave them sort of. 
these are the markers, and uh, this is what we'll be looking right. for. And if you can entertain yourself sitting there waiting for your food to come, and we'll entertain you with you, uh, but it w- here are the ways you will not be allowed to entertain yourself, and it will right. not involve any of the utensils on the table. It won't involve the centerpiece on the table. It won't involve right. the... Right. And it, it, helped, was, it, was, it, it helped a lot that they loved vegetables and they ate salads. You know, yeah. if you really think about it, <laughs> we, didn't have, we didn't have to do a lot. These kids eat a lot more vegetables than you do. Of right? course. And, of course they do. And they they were actually really liked going to restaurants. They really liked having new food experiences. But and, I think that was the best that was the best part of their childhood is that the relationship that we had set up with them, which was not we were not their friends first. We never did that. But what we set up, I think, in a way was fun first. Oh, yeah. And and a, a high priority on togetherness and having fun when we're together. And if it's not, it ends. And so any smart kid, if you're going to give them more good than bad, they're going to opt for the good and they'll behave for it. And I think right. I think that was – that you sort of set the tone for that and I was really grateful because I think to this day – it's still the truth. It just happened the other night where we were on a family phone call and it wasn't fun. And nobody was really playing along. Nobody was really was in the right, right mood. <laughs> you, well, you were great. I'm talking about the kids. Right. And so it was just like, I'm out. I'm out. And they both knew that they had sort of, that, that, that it wasn't, they that it have, wasn't a they good. They could have done better, and they did. That it wasn't a good phone call. And because I think of that pattern of their childhood, both of them separately called and said, hey, I wasn't in a great space. Sorry about that. Right. I know you needed to talk. Do you want to talk now? That's great. And it's that's that all sort you of, for. Yeah. It's that sort of clear communication that I really think you set the tone for. Well, I, want, I will say this is – if. And this, this is not a, a peon to me, but I, I'm really <laughs> oh, let is, it be. No, oh, let it be. <laughs> I'm not interested in the wonder of me. What I'm, but I do want to say that from a very early age, the emphasis was on respect your mother, and yeah. and to model for them respect for women on how how much I love your mother. And there was never words of disrespect about you. I could tease you, and we all teased you, but yes. it was all done from a place of love. <laughs> and yeah, it, and I think that's I think that's the one thing. Like when I, 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 I am the older partner in this podcast, Best to the Nest, and obviously I've lived through more than Elizabeth has at this point, and so I always hesitate to give advice because I, I, I really don't know how our story is going to turn out in the end. I think it's going pretty well. But one of the things that I think if I were a young mother, and I, I think young women should even think about this when they're dating, it, if if your partner doesn't treat you with the utmost respect, your kids aren't going to either. Yeah. And so if that's an issue in your relationship, figure that out before the kids right. come along because then you end up being the one in the house that's sort of tormented. Well, and, and that's a horrible you, position to be in And you were woman. tormented – by teasing, and it was torn by, by three people, and the ample amount of material you would give us, and it was true, so true, which was so funny that the kids keyed in on that, and it made them funnier that yes. they could. Yeah. They loved to yank your chain, and it was they so. Do. But it was done with with out of a good place, not a bad place, and it was. Yeah, and it, to this well, day, they. They needle oh. you in ways I don't, and it's so funny that they've got like their own riffs <laughs> going yeah. with they you. They can get a, they can get away with it yeah. because 
the foundation is right. respect. And uh, without that, it's not teasing, it's tormenting. I want to say, I want so. to t- pass on one thing that I remember, and I'll just be the capstone for this, if, and I promise not to go back to this, but about mm-hmm. the kids eating and about the, the fact that they were such, they were, they were, they had culinary curiosity. Yes, uh, they did. And the younger one more than the older one, and they had these weird symbiotic things where one would eat the lower part of the broccoli and the other would eat the florets. So I was like, wow, whatever. Right. You guys worked it out. But like the broccoli yeah. was gone. They shared their broccoli. They just ate different parts. Right. And But I remember, I just have to, it still cracks me up. So Campbell, our younger one, Itchy, as we called him for years, we went to Hawaii by cashing in our American Airlines miles. And we got it at a good rate and we were able to get business class to and from Hawaii. And so we did it all on miles and it was great. We had a nice time while we were there and we were flying back. I remember the the flight attendant came up uh, to our younger, so he's probably seven at the time. Yeah, I think that's about right. And and she said to him, she said, well, here we get the time for, you know, to order. And he's like, yes. And she said, so you have the, and she pointed to the, the kids part of the menu. And she said, so there, you have the macaroni and cheese with hot dogs. And then we have chicken <laughs> fingers. And then we also have spaghetti. And he looked at her very respectfully and just kind of paused for a second. And he said, tell me about the sea bass. <laughs> And I absolutely <laughs> lost it. I was the funniest thing. The look on her face. Yeah, that's about right. Tell me about the sea bass. <laughs> well, uh, it's braised and uh uh-huh, and butter. Yes. Yeah. Butter, braised okay. and butter. And they're like, all right, I'll take the sea uh, bass. <laughs> it was it was so perfect. And he but it was not on it. and yeah. he ate the whole thing and loved it and yeah. so yeah. Uh, that's me up. that's restaurant restaurant behavior. Exactly. Right that's the payoff. So, for yeah, yeah. So as we wrap this up, and as I said, I try not to give a lot of advice, but we've got Jay now, who's a father of three, Heathcliff, Bernie, and Franklin, mm-hmm. Bernadette and Franklin, and a lot of other young fathers and young mothers out there. If you did have one piece of advice for fathers, what would it be? The first thing is to explain why things will go south before you react emotionally. So as a father, when it comes to things like punishment, I, I give this advice all the time. And we, we got this from a series of books we were reading at the time about scream-free parenting. And I, I've heard you mention it oh, before. Right. And right. that was really helpful is just mark off the field. Be clear. Yeah. Don't, yeah. don't wing it. Don't have thing that one day is punishable by death. And then the next day it's a laugh and a pat on the back. Um, Know what your family values are and express them. Give them the opportunity later on to push away from them when they're teenagers, but not when they're kids. And when they're little, try to get them to understand these are our values. This is what we believe in until they have a time where they can articulate why they don't. And then it's another different type of conversation. To me, that, that blueprint saved us just so much trouble. And it was actually what a friend once told me about getting his daughter to bed is he said, we, she knows that she starts every night with five books. She will lose a book for everything she doesn't do. So if she doesn't brush her teeth, she loses a book. If she doesn't oh, wash her great. face, she loses a book. She right. doesn't, she does everything that she's supposed to do. She gets five books. Right. And I thought it's clear. It was clear. And I thought yeah. that's the kind of stuff that I think 
in in every aspect of life, even in our adult relationships, is missing the clarity of what will create a conflict later on. I love that. Well, thank you, Dr. Reverend yeah. Ian Punnett, or just Husband Punnett. Thank you. Uh, you know how much I love you, and I loved raising kids with you. If you're enjoying this podcast, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and give us a review at Apple Podcasts. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Best to the Nest, or go to bestofthenest.com to subscribe to our newsletter. We are the podcast that brings you home. To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the Sleep Number Bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, my Sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 Smart Bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed. Plus, special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number, the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.